0: The Dave Chang Show, part of the Ringer Podcast Network, presented by Major Domo Media. Thanks to YOLO Tingo, as always. We are joined with Chef Simone Tong of Silver Apricot and Little Tong Noodle Shop. This is going to be part of a too small to fail series. I thought it was very important that we continue to do this because there are people and chefs and restaurant owners that are opening up restaurants during quarantine. And Simone, if you don't know her, is an unbelievable person super super talented and she just is someone that I never want to bet against I adore her and I want the best for her because she's so tough and uh, man you'll hear about her amazingness in a little bit Uh, we're joined with Chris Ying this is our conversation with Chef Simone I am with Chris Ying, who has been my quarantine co-host in most of the podcast. And we are joined with Chef Simone Tong of... You have different restaurant names now.
1: Can you go over them? (laughs) We have two different restaurants. One is Little Tong Noodle Shop. It's our first restaurant. Uh, And the new one is Silver Apricot.
0: And that's why I wanted to get you on this podcast. And I wanted to, for a long time... Because we worked briefly when we did Ondo together. through we did. Yes. J.J. Basile. And <laughs> J.J. used to be like, she is badass. She used to work with me at WD-50. She's really good at various things, and we need her. And so many of the delicious things that we made were from your mind and hands, and I was very grateful. And I got to see the ingenuity and work ethic of yours. And <laughs> I knew that, you know, when you decided to open up Little Tong Noodle Shop, just down the street from Noodle Bar um, in the East Village, I was like, "I didn't know you were that crazy." <laughs>
1: <laughs> um, I I wasn't crazy. I was ignorant. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. that's a Chinese saying that uh, the baby tigers has no idea what the jungle is like. That's what I was. Yeah.
2: <laughs> that's so good.
0: Because, like, I, I I saw that sort of mojo you had like I'm just gonna get stuff done it's that (laughs) that amazing you call it ignorance I call it sort of blissfully stubbornness to just be able to look at problems be like yeah that sucks but we're gonna get through this and when you decided to open up uh, I stopped by to be like hey is there anything we can do to help out yeah and I remember that
1: conversation (laughs)
0: What, what exactly did we talk
1: about back then? Um, you tell me not to hire PR and you yes. tell me to open lunch. You ask me where I live. I say right across the street. You're like, okay, that's good. <laughs> and I was just so, um, I don't know if star strike is the word, but I was just so shocked you came and say hi to me. And uh, honestly, it wasn't that I didn't have problems. It was more like, I don't know what to do to ask for help. Right. So that I was just in the deep end of it.
0: I know, and, and I saw, and I just wanted to help because uh, anyone that decides to embrace the craziness and just to do it, you know, I'll, I'll tell everybody I know, don't do it, don't do it, don't do it. And then once you do it, you're like, oh, okay, let's, let's, <laughs> now we're on the, <laughs> we've crossed the Rubicon, we've we got to make the most of this. And, you know, you went straight to tip inclusive. Yeah. And that was hard, right?
1: Yeah. I don't know what I was thinking. No, you
0: were thinking, no, 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 Simone. You were thinking right.
1: But honestly, it didn't work. Hmm. Yeah, because we changed it back to tips.
0: Why didn't it work? Because this is something that I think is a larger conversation about about our industry.
1: Yeah, to our little restaurant, being this little restaurant, it didn't work for us. We couldn't support our labor percentage uh, versus how much money we generate. I was being idealistic. And probably I should have asked you, would you have said no to me? I mean, would you have said it's a terrible idea?
0: Well, we, had, we obviously tried that when we opened up Nishi. Yeah.
1: one of my favorite restaurants.
0: I was heartbroken as well because on paper and the ideology, it's very hard to say like that it doesn't work and it works for us at Co. Mm. But we have like a four to $500 check average, right? And, you know, it, it was unfortunate that so much of the food that worked in restaurants that were tip-inclusive had that luxuriousness or that high-end vibe to it all. And Nishi was as bare-bones as could be, and I think that there's a little bit of a penalty being an Asian-American restaurant serving Asian food at a higher price point, first and foremost, right? Yes. I don't think you did anything wrong. If your ideas are right, you're just too far ahead of the curve. And yeah. one of the things that needs to change in our industry and it has to have legislation to do that it would be very beneficial if we abolished tipping. And New York City seems to be the only place that makes that very difficult to do. And if everyone did it, then it's not a problem. Like again, not a problem, yeah. We have restaurants in Australia and our food prices, and food prices in Australia because of shipping, certainly, and it's so remote. But part of it is benefits for the citizens of Australia are sort of like baked into the cost of things as well. Yes. No one like, oh, that's so expensive. It's just like, because everything's, inflated and it's like okay like i i get it so no simone i know that you're hard on yourself and i don't <laughs> think that it was the wrong thing i don't think there was ignorant i think it was the ignorance of everyone else and i'm not trying to blow smoke up your ass i'm simply saying it's pretty clear right now in a pandemic world that tipping doesn't work
1: no i guess timing wasn't right part of the success of everything is you have to be people Location and timing. So one of the elements didn't
0: work, but yeah, that's okay. I mean, you, but you got to try. Like I get timing wrong all the time. And <laughs> listen, you know, most of our restaurants are still tip. You know, we still do tipping, and and yeah. just because we know it doesn't mean we can. And I think that we're trying to find ways, and I think we're looking at government to sort of help pass legislation because be I think great. it's too difficult otherwise. Can you talk a little bit about that? Mm-hmm. About what was the problem with the labor on, on the percentage? Because of time and a half and overtime and and forty yeah. to fifty hour work weeks.
1: Well, I think our our initial thought was that uh, front of the reason why we wanted not do tipping is because we wanted to give a better pay for the kitchen, yeah. Versus um, how much the front of the house take home. But granted, they also work really hard, but the kitchen do so much work, and. Honestly, I also learned that um, because of my finer dining background, I think I do too much prep. I put a lot of work in a little noodle shop on those hardworking people because I feel like everybody should learn how to butcher chicken, how to butcher duck, how to cure everything in a, in a setting that it's just selling noodles. So we do run into overtime, but I think most majorly it's because our uh, the, the food check average is too low. And it's a restaurant that is selling noodles, but it got into a, to a point that it's maybe too fancy. People want to stay there for too long and the turn time is too slow. It worked when I just got a two stars, but it didn't sustain itself long enough. Mm. For whatever reason, I'm still reflecting on yeah. that. We just recently closed the East Village location yeah. um, a month ago. We, we say that we were going to close in March. But then we managed to uh, make it last for until the end of June because we want to do some charity work and cook for some hospitals and um, in collaboration with Rethink also in part to try to hire some of my cooks back. And whoever they want are willing to work because they need to pay rent. But anyway, that was off topic. Um, no, it's not. That's on topic.
0: You, <laughs> you closed a restaurant down, yeah, Simone, yeah. and that was your first one. And you got two stars in the New York Times. It's a glowing review, and I think it was just the beginning. And it is still just the beginning for you because you're really fucking talented, and you're very you. good at this. And Thank you. I know people, particularly of Asian descent, don't take compliments well, and I'm telling you, you you deserve all of it and it's unfortunate it didn't work out but that didn't mean that it's not going to work out in the long term all right
1: true but you know what I learned restaurant business is hard <laughs> and I know you have told me that my chef Wiley has told me that but I was like Oh yes I get it but I still now I totally understand what it means that it is hard it is hard
0: it's just dumb right yeah. it's yeah. it's the dumbest job in the world yet. Sometimes it's so good. It's like a her- I mean, I, I I compare it to heroin addiction. Not that mm-hmm. I've done it.
1: You <laughs> said so you're chasing after
0: that high because the the it's 99 percent bad, but that 1% one percent when it's good, you're like, wow, that's fucking amazing. This the is high the best is job still I've ever there. Yeah. yeah,
1: I couldn't imagine me being any you know anything else. Yeah,
0: and Little Tong did a lot of work. I mean, I think you put more work into making your bowls of soup. And the Chinese name for the rice noodle soup is what? Mi xian. Threat of rice. And you had appetizers. But the whole thing was very labor-intensive work. It is. The soups, the broth, the garnishes, the mise en place was all as demanding as any high-end kitchen. Yeah. And if this was an Italian restaurant, let's just put it away. Like, it was considered an Italian restaurant. You were making Italian food. And how many seats was Little Tong? It was 28. 28. If you were doing your version of, of what? Little Tong was as a trattoria or high-end like that, you could probably get a $75,
1: $100 check average, wouldn't you think? (laughs) Wow, that's like three times as much as Little Tong, which is silly. You know, in the beginning, I wanted to make the noodles um, higher price with tips inclusive. But then I sort of surrender a little bit and drop it down. I mean, I still think about I don't have resentment about how affordable my food is compared to other cuisine. I just it, that's not me. But I just think about what a grandma noodle bowl is. How many hours of broth? How many pounds of chicken that we chicken bones that we roast? How much chicken confit? What's the lateral fermentation process of the pickles? I mean, they are all genuinely Chinese things mm-hmm. that Chinese people like to do from scratch. But like, if it were to be another kind of cuisine. It would be much more respected instead of taken for granted.
2: So, I've, I've had the chance to have like Guoqiao Mixian in Yunnan, and it's like, that, yeah. can you just talk about this dish and how many components there are to a bowl? It's, it's not just, I know you don't want to compare it to other cuisines, and mm-hmm. that's not mm-hmm. really fair, but like, just yeah. talk about your bowl of noodles and how many different things go into something like this. Yeah,
1: I'll tell you a, a spe- We did a special called Guoqiao Mixian, Crossing the Bridge, which is a classic famous misian dish in Yunnan, and then it spreads all over China. Um, I mean, there's some uh, rice noodle, Yunnan uh, misian shops in New York also serve Gua Chao misian, which is crossing the bridge. And we did a special in the year of 2018. I did 18 different components, <coughs> including, including sashimi quality fish, cured duck, cured ham, just beautiful ingredients that we can find locally. And instead of having like 20, 18 different plates, I put it beautifully in one bowl and then pour the broth table side, which is a Trinity broth. It's like lamb, pork, and chicken bones. I just want to make it so good. that, And then, you know how much I charge? How much? $18.80. <laughs>
2: it's ridiculous. It's, sometimes
1: it's... I feel like I'm shooting myself um, on the toe or something just to prove a point that Good stuff could be affordable, but then I think I'm not doing my, the you know some of the food justice. People love it, but it's so labor intensive. It's so much work, so much hard work. It doesn't translate to the entire story. So, but usually, Mi Xian has all sorts of like like little quail eggs, pickles, veggies, raw meat, because the broth is so hot and it has a layer of beautiful fat. It could be chicken fat. Uh, it cooks instantly inside, so all the flavors and aromas comes through instantly for you. Um, it's a very fun thing to do. That's why I opened a rice noodle shop, because that was my favorite dish, going back to China every time, visiting my grandparents. Simone, if that was
0: uh, spaghetti pomodoro or Alfredo or cacio e pepe, without a doubt, you could sell that for the mid-20s. I know. And that would literally just be not even maybe buying, it would be buying your pasta, buying your parm, buying your black pepper, butter, which you shouldn't put in there anyway. Mm -hmm. Now, if you did this where it was a farce and you put all those ingredients and it was tortellini and blah, Mm -hmm. blah, blah, you're looking now at the low 30s. Tip inclusive, you're probably looking at high 30s. Yep, I know.
1: That's one dish. I spend the money going to Italian restaurant. I spend that money going to Italian restaurant too.
0: And that's why I, I hope we can talk about this, Simone, because I hope that your child when he or she grows up, doesn't have to deal with this shit.
1: I don't know. I hope not. But you know, you know who t- critici- who's talks about my food being expensive, though? Asian people. Yeah.
2: Chinese people. Exactly.
1: <laughs> my own people are not happy because my own people think that it's too expensive. But I wanted to tell them the quality and the ingredients are just part of the reason why it deserves this price. The other part is labor and location. But quality ingredients, seasonality, and how much work we put on it, it, de- it deserved the price. And that's not even half of what I should think it no, deserves. Your,
0: I'm telling you right now, your, your bowl of soup with noodles, and I'm not going to say it in Chinese because you guys are going to just laugh at me, should have been in the low to mid-30s per bowl. That's the real adjustment, I believe, of what that price should be. But uh, Chef David, the problem is who's going to come eat it? Well, that's why we're talking about this. Yeah. Right? Because it's not fucking fair, right? Yeah. It is not fair that part of this, I think, is the media. Part of this is, again, the Asian community. All of these are problems, but if you stack up the logic on this, it doesn't make any sense. I think it's ignorance, it's bias, and it's a lower form of racism.
1: Yeah, All right. I agree.
0: And I don't think that our children should have to deal with this moving forward. I hope, right? It's better and easier in some ways to be Asians than it was when I grew up. And I hope that our children will have that really equality to be like, okay, I don't have to underprice my food for my own people or for an audience that is not from my culture. It's something I fucking really believe in, Simone, because it drives me batshit crazy that you have to maybe go out of business because not of sacrificing quality, not because it's not delicious. And it's not because the audience isn't there because people view it as too expensive. And that's fucked up. Mm-hmm.
1: Only in this country, though. Because I, you know, I wasn't born here. I'm a new immigrant. I just got my citizenship last year, May. Very proud. But I grew up in Singapore. I grew up in Hong Kong. I grew up in Beijing, Shenzhen. Chinese food, there, are a spectrum of price. And I've had very, ex- you've been to China. You've had yeah. very expensive Chinese food in China. And they are like skyrocket price. And you also have like down the street, humble little noodle shop. Um, yeah, and, and probably in Japan, Korea, they are, uh, there's a price spectrum. But here, it seems like there's a cap that is yeah. too too rigid. It's suppressing us. We have to lower our head. In I know, mean, I
2: understand, to- I understand, like, the sort of, I'll characterize it as, like, the parent's perspective of, like, oh, no, no, that's that shouldn't be, it's too expensive, you know? Like, I understand mm-hmm. the economical way of life, the sort of immigrant outlook, like, oh, I want to be able to eat for cheap, I want to eat this familiar food that I know for what I can afford. Mm-hmm. But... I think that like the, the work that has to be done is to convince that same group of people, our parents or whoever they are, that like, if a Chinese American, a Chinese immigrant can come here and, and succeed at selling our food for $35 a bowl, like that should be a source of pride. Cause it's, I, I think that we all place that, that value transfers, right? I think that's what Dave is saying. Like if, if our food yes. is looked at as cheap, our culture is cheap and we're worth less, yes. like literally and worth less.
0: Yes. Amen so, to that. And, and listen, yeah. it can happen. Cause you know Why? It wasn't too long ago that people thought sushi was not something that they would eat. 100%. And it wasn't too long ago that people thought that masa is $1,000 a person? No (laughs) way. Now you have every sushi bro in Manhattan going to six to eight seat counters, dropping ungodly amount of money. And it's a lot of work and it's an art form. And I love it more than anyone else too. I think it's something I, I truly admire. But if it can happen with Japanese cuisine, why can't it happen with Chinese food and all the different pockets of Chinese food and Korean
2: food,
1: it can happen. It can happen. So, it takes more than one person. It takes a lot of people and a few more years. A lot of takes, years. It
2: takes a few more years. And, I mean, and to be fair to Italian food, it, that's how people looked at Italian food before too, that it had to be cheap. But No, no,
1: no. Not, not
0: only did it have to be cheap, Chris. Yeah. When I started working in kitchens, which was after college, and I remember in going to FCI and one of my instructors in level five, they were talking shit about Alain Ducasse because he just got six Michelin stars. Mm-hmm. And they're like, well, it's just glorified Italian food, hmm. right? Like Italian food was seen as something that was like shitty. Mm-hmm. And remember there was a conversation about can an f- Italian restaurant ever be four stars? And in 20 plus years, look at the transformation. It can happen. It can happen. And I just... I want you to know that I have massive respect for you for doing this. Thank you know, you. it's the same sort of stubbornness that your mentor Wiley Dufresne has, who I love. And I would sacrifice so much for that guy because he is the true embodiment of what American chefs should be. You know, open-minded and just amazing knowledge. And I think that's what you've tried to do. And, and it's unfortunate that you've had to close that restaurant down. And I really want to talk about your second venture in a second. But what I think about this is that it is hurts me to see the same sort of struggles that I've gone through, you've gone through. Yeah. I don't know what to say other than I, I, I wish it wasn't so fucking hard. And I really do mean this now that we all have children. I really hope that the future generations will look back on and be like, wow, that's stupid. I can't believe that people didn't want to eat this way. Whether again, it's a white audience or an Asian audience, they're like, wow, that was pretty ignorant of us. You know, we really should have been supporting these trailblazers. You are a trailblazer in a lot of ways because you didn't want to make it authentic. You wanted to make it. That's why I think it's American. Yeah. Right.
1: Yeah. And I think I'm I'm still very, I don't know, hopefully I'm not, I'm a little less ignorant now, but I'm still very optimistic about the food that I'm presenting and the acceptance of the people. This is a very interesting time to open a restaurant. I wonder if you're going to ask me the question, why am I opening Silver Apricot in the middle of pandemic? But I also (laughs) want to tell you I'm being very pragmatic because if I open any later, I wouldn't have time to do anything about it because I will have a baby. so I have to open a month before this is born. And then earlier on I can't open because no, no but it's all a total shutdown. Uh, but it's very interesting because as little business as we are doing at Silver apricot, I'm seeing the excitement and hope of people coming out and try our food. And I think every customer, mm. every guest that come and try our food have a different expectation, but so far they have been quite supportive. So I'm very, very hopeful, even though this is economically a very, very bad situation. <laughs>
0: it's a bad situation. And that's why, again, I wanted, you know, reach out to JJ. Mm-hmm. And I was like, we have to get you on this podcast because we do have a platform. I do have a platform. And I want to make sure that we give you as much notice and support as possible because America, New York City need you i need i need you to try my food too i know i know i'm going to be there i'm going to eat silver apricot (laughs) i promise i'm currently in pasadena because chris and i are trying to record make these fucking tv shows it (laughs) doesn't make it easy for the pandemic (laughs) but but i wanted people to know that you are as good as we have and you are an entrepreneur, you are an artist, you are a chef, and you're doing something unique, and you make delicious food and Thank
1: I know you. that. Thank you so much. Coming from you guys means a lot
2: So can you take us through the past couple of, of months how, how long have you been planning uh silver apricot? How much has that changed what is what is it like to open? You're the first person we've spoken to I think that that has <laughs> opened something yeah. in this climate
1: we've tried we've tried this place took again uh might be very stupidly long this place took a year and a half it's a tiny space but it's so old we had to fix so much and again we're not very experienced i don't have a big team so it took a long time to to come to this stage which is maybe 90 percent done renovation wise we were going to open in end of march we were going to go open we're just going to open uh but then you know in the middle of march everything happened so we couldn't open and nobody could be here so we opened um what month is this this is second of august when did we open we opened two weeks ago Is a two uh-huh. weeks ago two and a half weeks ago in the middle of like a wednesday we just decided we're going to open and i um i think we have stopped paying or we have never paid a very good pr firm that i really like and so <laughs> when we did open i had a really good friend who used to be a PR person for my previous restaurant? She's like, okay, I'm going to just like, you know, write a bunch of emails and send it to Eater and maybe New York Times and some other people. And uh, I'm like, okay, yeah, well, do whatever you want. I don't really like care because we don't have money or time. We're just going to open. So that's what happened. And I figure I only have three tables outside for outdoor sitting. How bad could it be? Like, <laughs> um, and then it's delivery and takeout. And I'm like, since I'm not that famous, it's okay. We just do it slow. I don't have that much energy anyway. So we did it slow and it's been going okay. And we're still trying to work on every single details as much as we can with every single person that is in this restaurant, which is a four, four and a half like person team. Simone,
0: you are tougher (laughs) than I ever was or am. I mean... Doing this all while expecting a baby any any day now.
1: Yeah. Um, it might be somewhat called irresponsible sometimes.
2: <laughs> I, I mean, I hope you won't mind me saying this to our audience here, but we've we've alluded to a few times, like Simone, you're supposed to have a baby in like five days when yeah. you open a restaurant. <laughs> like uh, yeah. this is wild.
1: Yeah, I'm um I think it's because I, I you know, interestingly, it might be because I'm not in Asia. So I don't have that much, ma- that many aunties, uncles, grandmothers to like nag at me and be like, you need to stay <laughs> home. You need to stay home. So I'm like, inspired by Chef Wiley used to tell me that his wife, when was was uh, giving birth to Hillary, the second kid, she worked till her last day. And she came from the same university as I am um, UNC Chapel Hill. So I was like, as a woman, maybe, you know, that's how we show strength. And if the baby is fine, I can work, but it's tough. It's tough. I uh, black out a few times and I know this has to be the last day that I'm in this kitchen. Today? Yeah. Because I I don't think I can. Yeah. And then I just had a big meeting with my team and they are going to work on the new dishes and come to my apartment and let me taste the food because Mm. they they are willing to walk the extra miles because I can't do it anymore. Mm. Anyway, that's what kind of team we have right now, which I'm very, very excited because they are willing to, you know, in the middle of economic hard time and uh, the pandemic, they're willing to do everything it takes to do this. Yeah.
0: You know, we just described how stupid this business is. And we <laughs> said nine, 99% the dumbest fucking shit. <laughs> but would you just describe Simone is the 1%. That's the you beautiful know, part. It's moments, it's moments like this when you're like, in the face of all absurdity and stupidity, when things shouldn't work, and all odds are stacked against you, people have your back and vice versa. Yeah,
1: the few that's, people that has my back, yeah.
0: That's it, man. That is why this business is the best business. Before we go on, let's take a quick break to hear from our sponsors. Today's episode of The Dave Chang Show is brought to you by ZipRecruiter. As an employer, you've got a lot on your plate, running your business, ensuring workplace safety, and much more. So leave your hiring to one place that makes finding qualified candidates fast and easy, ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. ZipRecruiter sends your job to over 100 of the web's leading job sites, but they don't stop there. With their powerful matching technology, ZipRecruiter scans thousands of resumes to find people with the right experience and actively invites them to apply to your job. ZipRecruiter makes the entire hiring process efficient and effective with features like screening questions to filter candidates and an all-in-one dashboard where you can review and rate your candidates. ZipRecruiter is so effective that four out of five employers who post on ZipRecruiter get a quality candidate within the first day. And right now, to try ZipRecruiter for free, my listeners can go to ZipRecruiter.com slash ziprecruiter.com/chang, Chang. That's ZipRecruiter.com Chang, C-H-A-N-G. ZipRecruiter.com slash Chang. ZipRecruiter, the smartest way to hire. Today's show is also brought to you by Mack Weldon. Mack Weldon makes the most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants that you will ever wear. Their mission is to make sure that all of your basics and beyond are smartly designed with premium fabrics and shopping for them is easy and convenient. I currently am wearing Mack Weldon. It is the only thing I've basically been wearing since quarantine. I love their shirts, their underwear, specifically their sweatpants. If you're going to invest in a pair of sort of quarantine clothing, this is the stuff that you should buy. Mack Weldon even offers a line of silver underwear and shirts that are naturally antimicrobial, which means they eliminate odor. They want you to be comfortable, so if you don't like your first pair of underwear, you can keep it and they'll still refund you, no questions asked. All MAC Weldon products are great for working out, going to work, going on dates, and just everyday life. The folks at Mack Weldon have even created their own totally free loyalty program called Weldon Blue. Level one gets you free shipping for life. And once you reach level two by spending $200, Mack Weldon will start giving you 20% off every order for the next year. An unbelievable deal. For 20% off your first order, visit macweldoncom Chang and enter promo code Chang, C-H-A-N-G. That's MacWeldon dot com slash Chang and promo code Chang for 20% off your first order. And now back to the show.
1: Can I tell you just really quickly what we were talking about in the meeting? We were mainly talking about how we shouldn't make precious, creative, edgy food because we we want to make this business work. So the meeting was about let's make food that is nostalgia high quality but also easily understood by the people that mm-hmm. wants the food otherwise i'm going to close this restaurant in six months honest to god if we, it doesn't work this way it has to work in a way that translates everything in terms of the expectations in terms of you know the quality and yeah, yeah. the the situation
2: and, and i'm sure like the logistics of takeout and delivery right like what what you can serve for takeout is much different than what you can or want to serve in a restaurant can you
1: yeah but i've i've trained that's one of the valuable lessons i learned from endo is i have trained how to make takeout food mm-hmm. beautiful and good quality that lesson i didn't learn from any other dining.
2: can you talk a little bit about some of those that that culinary side of it like what what does make it beautiful better for delivery what what are some of the things that you have like given up like talk about the food and, and some of that thinking on like a real dish mm. level if you can
1: we serve this very beautiful light oil poached Arctic char with Trinity sauce that even though it's an Arctic char when you close your eyes you you just taste exact it tastes exactly like Chinese steamed fish. Hmm. Cause it's ginger garlic uh, garlic scallion. So you know how they usually after this fish come out, they usually pour hot oil on the ginger scallion. Mm-hmm. I can't really pour hot oil on top because the thing will leak. So I made a Trinity oil to brush it on top of it, and then I separate the the steamed fish juice in another container. So it has two different containers. And then I obviously again separate the crispy skin that we dehydrated and fried into another container. So you get a beautiful poached fish with raw scallions, chiffonade, beautiful scallions and uh, pickled onions, ginger on top. And then with Trinity oil and the fish sauce separately with the fish skin. So when they opened it and we also tested and tell people how, how many seconds you cook microwave if you want a uh, hot fish versus a lukewarm fish. A lukewarm fish is perfectly poached. Hotter fish is how you would want to eat it, as if you are older generation Chinese. Uh, but it all well, comes out Simone, to be the same flavor. I don't think you thought about this dish enough.
0: Yeah. I think you need to think a lot more about it.
1: But you just have to get—you just have to get the right.
0: No, uh, Simone. Can I? Uh, how, how? What's the price on this dish? Twenty-four dollars. Huh. Too expensive. I mean, come on too expensive. I'm not going to eat that. That's just too expensive for what but it the is. Char- like, it's going to be
1: 12 I, know, $12. I know, chef, but the ch- I can't make $12, 12 in West Village. I'm joking. I'm joking. <laughs> I know. I know. But it's, it's part of a tasting set, which is only $55. for. We call it a three-course tasting, but it's actually a five-course tasting meal. We, we don't want to call it five-course because we're afraid that if I, we say five-course, people are not going to order it in the weekdays which honestly right now not many people are actually ordering takeout and delivery, which I understand because you will probably order from Maria, you know, a better loaned fine dining restaurant for tasting menu. But they come and sit down and sit outside and eat, which is good enough for me. So
0: can you go over just like a brief rundown of what you know, these dishes might be yeah. for 55 bucks. Yep.
1: Yeah. So the first course is a scallion path. It's a combination of my favorite croissant with, uh, sweet butter scallion, uh, jajang, uh, yeah, which is a, s- a sweet bean paste. And it's a little, uh, nuggets of scallion puff. That's eight of them. Uh, second course is a cucumber melon salad with, uh, fennels. It's a black vinegar, ram vinaigrette with, uh, brown butter solids. Third one is a radish with bak choy and miso vinaigrette, it's charred, it's beautiful, it's sautéed, and the third veg, it's a choice between radish and jumbo asparagus with ex, veggie exosauce sauce, and a dehydrated bell pepper, which looks very spicy, but very sweet, and garlic chips. So that's the veggie course, and then it's a choice of skirt stick with uh, fermented tofu, chimichurri sauce or uh, the Arctic chart that I described to you. And then the last course is our beautiful sesame panna cotta with strawberries.
2: Oh my God.
1: Everything is made (laughs) with much love and intensity.
2: Uh, Oh man. I want to eat that so badly.
1: And then we have some new stuff coming out um, next week or so. That is also very fun, very fun and um, very Asian Chinese American. (laughs) Yeah. I
2: don't know. Um, so, can we can we talk a little bit about uh just some more food talk? I'm just mm-hmm. I'm getting it's getting close to lunchtime for me, so I just want to hear more. So, you are you're from Chengdu, right, originally?
1: Yeah. I was born in Chengdu, yes.
2: Okay. Um can I ask you a a basic question? What is missing from Sichuan food in America versus what you get in Chengdu? Like
1: what is oh. different?
2: What do you what are we missing here?
1: Well, I think Honestly, the last time I went there was in 2018. I was so shocked about how creative Sichuan Chengdu food got. I mean, it's hard to catch up with the crazy Asians in Asia.
2: <laughs> I mean, that's a such a good point. I, I just feel like people... In America, one thing about, like, authenticity, and I don't want to get too deep into this conversation again, but one thing about, like, that idea of authenticity does you, is it, mm-hmm. like, it makes people think that there's only one static, real version yeah. that never changes.
1: You never have to convince the tundu people what authenticity is. They don't give a shit. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> they don't really care. They care about good food.
2: There's so many... I, I, I've only traveled there one time, and it was probably, like, six, seven years ago at this point, but I remember that exact same thing of just the creativity and, yep. and how many dishes I had never heard of because they didn't exist six months earlier, you know? I had, like, yeah. eels with, like, w- w- kind of like, like peachy noodles. Like Oh, yeah, was, we love eels. Holy shit, like, it's so good there.
1: We love everything that you don't think a Chinese will love.
2: Yeah, totally.
1: We eat raw fish. I mean, Chinese people eat raw fish. Uh, they don't call it sashimi. They call it Sen, and it's happened since Tang Dynasty, you know, tang Tao. And it's just that it's just that um, we were never we never spread those part of deep culture to America. It's not because we don't have it.
2: I think it's like a similar thing to like Davis talked about this, and I know Corey Lee talks about this too. Like with Korean cuisine, where like again this authenticity trap makes you think there's only there's only ten dishes mm-hmm. in Korea, and they can only be made according to these laws, and you must yeah. make them this way. Like I think if you go to Korea, right? Like Dave, I'm sure it's like wildly inventive
1: wildly inventive. especially the koreans they're so creative so,
0: so much shit happens in <laughs> korea uh, i don't even again like it's funny what is deemed as authentic because I, like like uh, they just fried chicken and beer has become mm-hmm. this thing but if americans did it korean people in seoul would be like that's fucking weird and fusion <laughs> <laughs> but if it happens in Seoul it's like dude we're we're giving we it's so awesome this combination we're giving it its own name chimek
1: yeah there is there is another thing that i find exciting when uh the the, the recent chinese are doing is that they are um taking up really really ancient recipes old recipes from the dynasties because you know, whatever we are familiar with right now are basically from the 90s and 80s. Like Mapo tofu, they're not a very old dish. So, digging up really old recipes and trying to study them and trying to see what hundreds, two hundred years old people are eating, but some of them came out to be so good, mm. which is what I'm excited to also share. And then people are like, "It's not authentic," but that's ironic, right? You see, that's actually really, really old. Mm-hmm. It's just not familiar.
0: Are these recipes? Do they look like kimchi?
2: <laughs> <laughs> oh no! Some 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 of, some of
1: it some of, some of it do.
2: Oh no! I thought when you were starting to talk about raw fish, I was a hundred percent sure Dave was going to go off on his his Korean roots of all oh, of all things.
1: Yeah, there's pickle crabs in like the Canton areas, and I had the pickle crab at uh, Wyo and it was like, wow, that tastes like
2: you know, Kawe, Kauai, Kauai, that was Yeah.
1: Yeah, that was so that was so Cantonese. I was like, that is also Korean, but mm. it's so
2: good. But which one was it first?
1: <laughs> Honestly, it depends on where you tasted it first. Does it really matter? No, <laughs> I mean, I this I'm is kidding. where I
0: can really spin out of control and just become like this, I mean, take this with a grain of salt, like this Trumpian slash, you know... Rush Limbaugh bullshitter of fake news. I be like, well, everything is Korean. That's Korean. That's Korean. This is Korean. <laughs>
2: Zoom, Zoom calls are Korean. It's all yeah, Korean.
0: Yeah.
1: it's a, In a parallel world, the Chinese says the same thing.
0: Mm. I mean, because no one's really going to believe that it came from Korea anyway. So it's just no. like, you know.
1: I mean. If you say it, they will probably believe. No. I mean,
0: no country in Asia has been enslaved, colonized, or just totally fucked over by its neighbors more than Korea. Yeah. So uh, who who knows what's what? But uh, I joke because I'm envious of China's <laughs> independence. In <food laughs>
2: um Chef. What? So you, you do have another big uh, of life event coming up here. Mm-hmm. Talk to us a little bit about what's happening on the on the parenthood front. Are you are you feeling prepared? Are you feeling? What are you feeling?
1: I'm logistically stuck with the idea of breastfeeding all the time and working in the kitchen. I haven't figured that part out, Mm -hmm. but I'm thinking people have been telling me that if I open restaurants, then taking care of a newborn is not that hard, but I'm not sure if it's true. So I'm excited to see which one is harder (laughs) because I'm really good at multitasking and uh, problem solving, but I've never held a baby before. And at this point, maybe once for like a hot second. But that baby is like eight months old, but it wouldn't be the same. So at this point, I have told myself I'm going to stop reading all the science books of mothers and all the vaccines and all the, you know, scientific books. I'm, I've am i told myself to just relax, which is hard for me to do and see what comes. Honestly, if this one looks like a human is healthy, that's all <laughs> I'm asking for. Yeah. Yeah. How does it work for you two? You, you guys have, you know... I have no chefs, Chef David is one of them, that have a kid and open so many restaurants. I just haven't met a female chef that does the same. And I think it's a little different being a mother versus I a father.
2: I think it's, you know, very <laughs> different both for legitimate reasons and, and illegitimate reasons that make it harder for moms. You know, yeah. Dave and I bullshit a lot about being dads and, and our trials and tribulations, but like... We can't hold a candle to to you. Simone,
0: let me me tell you what I've learned in uh, the 17 months of being a father. Yes. First year plus, men are completely inconsequential. (laughs) We we are not needed. You know, like, we're so not important to anything, in my opinion. Truly, it's like... What my wife has had to do has given me just like, it's an, it's awe. It's like, oh my God. Like, Chris, I know feels the same way. It's like, we have nothing to ever complain about, ever,
2: from a dude's perspective. I, I don't know. It's it's going to be different for every single person. I think you're doing the right thing, Simone, by putting down those books, because they're, it's very good to feel secure and to know you have a base for what's by, ahead. By the way, but- can
0: we talk about that one second? <laughs> but... When you go down the rabbit hole of reading information about having a child, it is (laughs) the worst hole you could ever dig yourself into. I've spent
1: hundreds of hours YouTubing everything, too. But uh, I think I mostly forget most of part of it. I think at the the end of the day, I just have to do it. Like Retaining information, being pregnant. I never heard about about mommy brain or pregnant brain. Oh, yeah. And I can't believe I'm experiencing this. This is... (laughs)
2: That, that That is the comforting thing. Like sometimes though, when, when you do feel lost and you do pick up a book and it says like, and you're like, why is this happening? And the book says like, on day seven, after six hours, this will happen. You're like, oh, thank God. Like this is supposed to be the way it happens. Do you, so Simone, you were saying like, you, you don't have family out here. Are you guys going to have, you know, people to see the new baby and things like that?
1: Uh, my dad is here. Oh, amazing. Uh, right. my, but it's my dad. Unfortunately, my mom passed away two uh-huh. two years ago. So my dad is here. And two of my best friends, they are going to come two weeks at a time, which they never also have a baby. So I'm not sure how that works. <laughs> so that's the support system I have. And then I have a wonderful partner who's also a chef who also owns many restaurants. So we'll see how that goes. Yeah. He told me to take the lead. I'm like, okay, I get it. <laughs> I'll, I'll obviously take the lead. <laughs> yeah. But I feel like he was telling me two days ago when, uh, On Saturday after I came home, I I honestly, I cried. I was like, this is, I feel so guilty because I was busy. I'm not cooking, cooking at a restaurant, but I was busy standing there for hours talking to customers. I feel so bad that I'm pregnant with this baby. I hope he's fine because I'm so exhausted. And he was telling me it's natural for every working woman to feel the guilt about the career and the child. So I don't, I'm just, I don't know what what happened to me. Uh,
2: you know i think that's that's very legitimate but and, and actually i i do think that the core of what dave was saying earlier really is that while we may feel useless like fathers should feel that same guilt too mm. you know well we that's
0: should. that's that's really su- summarizes for me simone is i i found myself early on saying when someone said oh you, you have a baby or like we have a baby mm-hmm. you know like or like i had a, like we had a baby i was like no 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 What I've learned is I did nothing. My wife had the baby, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, Mm -hmm. and, and that's, I have thought about it so much in my mind that it's completely shifted how I think about, you know, motherhood in in ways. And I'm so excited about it, but I did, I did nothing in really like in the creation of the baby. Like even today I was talking with grace. I was like, my God, like, I can't believe you carried him. I can't believe he was in your belly. I didn't do anything. Like, you know, like that's what I meant. It's more of like, oh my god, yeah,
2: we've got when, to make up women, for that. Like that's yeah. not really what it is. Like we got to make up for the lack of work we did.
1: Yeah, what
0: women can do, it's just,
1: you know, I was telling Matt, my partner, the same thing. I, I was, I was telling him, I thought men and women are equal. I after carrying this baby, I realized we actually have to do a lot more as yeah. women. Yeah, yeah,
2: and and you know, Simone, I know you're planning sort of how you're going to like work the line and breastfeed at the same time and, and, yeah. and like perform these unbelievable acts of, of, of strength. But I, you know, I, I do hope you'll also realize like how hard that is and, and that you deserve. Oh man,
0: you are, you were just amazing Simone. And, and I, I really want you to have a very healthy baby. Yeah. I want you to Thank have you. a successful restaurant. I want you to not be stressed out and, and I just want the best for you. I, I genuinely do. And and um, thank you. you know, thank you, chef. And tell your partner, you know, <laughs> to to make sure that you have your treats, right? <laughs> Whatever you want. Also, to bring some straws. I found that was really important. Okay. Like metal straws, because the hospital won't always provide that, and it's going to mm-hmm. be difficult for you to drink. I brought Christmas lights. If you ha- are able to, like, do anything in your room, uh, or like. Your side of the room. <laughs> That's um, okay. an inflatable bed, if you're able to. Yep. Like a small one. Mm-hmm. Uh, make sure that you have your towels and blankets or whatever that you feel comfortable. This is what I did. Like I had all this ready. Chris, I know had this ready. Mm-hmm. Um, and and ask you for what you want to eat the first meal mm-hmm. that you can. He did. He did ask me that. Yeah. Good. That's good. good. And um, the last thing. Chris, I wonder if you agree is, do you have a plan about bringing your baby home?
1: (laughs) Uh, By plan, you mean put the car seat in the car and...
0: Yeah, all that, all that. Are you driving or like, you know, like that?
1: He's going to go get the car and drive back to the hospital with my dad. And then we're going to carry the baby into the car. Is that the plan? Yeah, I mean, to me,
0: it was like we had to get... You know, we got a, a like a minivan Uber. Uh-huh. We didn't have a car, right? And the reason I'm saying this is, no one, all of this preparation, and then,
2: then you're like, shit, you get discharged from the hospital. And you're like,
0: yeah, that's it. And like, that's, yeah, it. that's pop the- them in a car. And you're like, what the fuck? <laughs> yeah,
2: that is the crazy part. Is like how much information they give you for the birth, and then it's like, well, good luck for the next 18 years. <laughs> like, we got you for the first few hours. Yeah, I mean, I will also say like our first kid, we had all of that stuff. We had every, the the bag, the mattresses, Mm -hmm. the Mm -hmm. the peanut shaped ball, all of these things. Mm -hmm. And then the second one was like a little bit of an emergency. Just like we showed up at the hospital. I had my wallet and my keys and my cell phone. And that was literally all we had. And it was fine. Like things will go fine one way or another. I mean, you know, knock on wood and everything, but you're going to be, I think the number one thing you're going to see. And and I, I think Dave would agree is like, Man, you don't know how. I know you guys have opened restaurants. I know you've seen tough things, but like, man, human resilience and, and the like, just life itself is just so mm-hmm. amazing. And that's what you're going to see, nice. I think.
0: Um, well, listen, I, I wish you nothing but the best. I have so Thank much you. respect for you, and you are uh, incredibly tenacious and talented and all the best ways of being stubborn. And, <laughs> and I don't agree with your assessment of being ignorant, right? Like, talk about you got to take some swings. Like, Ando was a think about it now. People are like, well, too early, but fine. Who gives a shit? You know what I mean? You live and you learn and you do it. And uh, I'm so sorry you had to close little tong and I wish you nothing but the best. And I hope that everyone that's listening, even if you don't live in New York city, call someone, you know, order many, many times from silver apricot. Sounds delicious. I can't wait to try it.
1: Thank you. Thank you so much. Please come back to New York whenever you guys are done with the other things in California, stay healthy. And just one thing to add, our second location and third location of Little Tong are still there. Just the first location is gone. Uh, But thank you very much for the opportunity. I will do you guys and myself proud to continue building Chinese food, Asian food in this country. Thank you.
0: You rock, Simone. Thank you for joining us. (laughs) That was our conversation with Chef Simone Tong, and uh, man, what a what a powerhouse for yeah. her to do what she's doing right now. And uh, I, I have nothing but mad respect for her. And I really want everyone to go out and eat Silver Apricot. The one thing I wanted to think about, Ying, in terms of this whole conversation about Asian price points and stuff, is like I kept on thinking maybe the only way that this gets acceptance is if. A white chef incorporates it in their restaurant and has a $45, you know, rice noodle dish with foie, whatever, and that starts this trend. And maybe that's not necessarily a bad thing because I immediately was thinking about one thing that I made a a handful of times was the DBGB burger that I think happened in 2000 or 2001 where Danielle Balloude put foie and short rib and a burger on a brioche and it was like 38 bucks. Mm-hmm. And people were like, you can't do that to a hamburger. People were outraged and they're pissed. And it was a very much seminal moment in food in American history because it took something that was lowbrow and jacked up the price and the ingredients to the point where it became one of his most iconic, one of the most iconic dishes that a lot of people don't talk enough about because it changed the game. And that really led this whole movement towards charging more for burgers. And the second one was in Mineta Tavern when Riyadh and Lee Hansen were there. And they opened Mineta Tavern in New York City in the West Village. And they did the Black Label Burger. And it was like a 38 or $42 burger. And they basted it in butter and it was a special La Frida thing. And no one ever said, "I'm." Mean, some people said that's too expensive, but everyone had to try it.
2: Mm-hmm. And
0: it's these outliers that people don't realize that shift things in different ways that people don't realize until you can connect the dots after the fact. And I hope that Simone is that person that gets to do that for her Chinese food and Asian food in general. I hope it's her, but you know, sometimes I think maybe it's just going to be someone that's a white person, not a white person, but you know, someone that like, it's not the story that they're trying to say.
2: Yeah. Maybe somebody who doesn't have the, I mean, we've talked about this a lot, like the kind of emotional ties, right? Somebody who's free from that restriction of like what it means to them. And it's just purely going to think about the American audience and interpret it. I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I don't know if I've asked you this, at least not for this podcast, but like she was alluding to some of those expensive Chinese restaurants in in, in China and Asia and Singapore, like the places that we love, like the Lung King Heen's and things like that. Why don't you think that that exists here? I mean, specifically in America. Like why is there no flower drum, no high-end Chinese?
0: Well, I think, and again, this is part of the issue is what the zeitgeist understands. Mm-hmm. And I love, I think Shen Lee's great I love it, or Mr. Chow's, or something like that. That's what I think most people, in at least in New York City, think is high end Chinese. Hmm. And again, I, I don't want to make that assumption, but my gut tells me that's what people think high end is. And there are like I had a great peking duck at um, Hutong, and that was like you know one hundred dollars, seventy eight dollars a person, and. You know, it was there. I saw a lot of Chinese people there. But the Peking duck was great. And there was another, Dadong, which is amazing in, in Shanghai, in Beijing. Right, The the Peking duck place that has, like, I don't know how many goddamn Michelin stars the chef has. They opened up here, and it was a total dud. And mm. maybe it's because there wasn't the audience. Maybe because they couldn't get the ingredients. I don't know. But I just think we are many years away from having… High-end Chinese, where people go into banquet room and they just drop stupid amounts of money, and there's all kinds of liquor consumed and fucking feasts. Yeah, and that we just don't have that clientele.
2: It's a putting everything aside, putting the sort of race stuff aside, the sort all, all everything aside, all the socio-cultural questions. Like, it sucks because you and I both know that that is like among the best kind of eating you can do.
0: It's so much fun, and it's a it's a feast.
1: It's so fucking but fun, But it's, it's,
0: it's a matter of time, I hope, that before we have versions of that. And, and if it doesn't, it doesn't. But I think about this a lot, and it pisses me off that Simone isn't able to sell her food at the price point that she should. But before that sort of wider acceptance of high-end Chinese food happens, I do think Asian communities that want acceptance really need to accept the outliers within the community that are trying to push the boundaries. And Simone is one of them. And I, I wish nothing but the best for Simone, but we should really look at our own actions and stop complaining, oh, that's too expensive or that's that. Is is just look at what they're trying to do. Because if Simone's able to have her noodles and she still to you know has a little tong location, it's just the one in the East Village closed. Uh, so you can still have her noodle soups if that winds up being crazy successful that changes the game for so many other types of chinese food yeah
2: yeah i think i think what you guys were talking about is is right i think this starts actually with asian people themselves solidarity man s- solidarity and self-worth you know believe that we're worth it believe we're worth higher prices i mean that
0: in some ways it's not so different than the podcast we did. It is very different, but that same kind of challenging. The only thing that's the same is challenging your own community is when we spoke about the actually many people that didn't quite understand or were too sort of preoccupied being a model minority for black lives matter, Mm -hmm. right? Like can't rock the boat or it's not something that you publicly want to do. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just think there's a lot of shit-talking that happens and in all societies, but particularly Asian cultures, the passive, quiet whisper of shit-talk is not good. And yep. um, if Simone becomes what she should be, think how like wonderful that is for everybody. It's, it's, this is why I get so mad at our industry, because we're celebrating the wrong things. And we're yeah. focusing on maybe not enough on, on these things. Anyway, I, I could talk on and on, but I was really thankful that uh, she joined us and and uh, you got to make lunch, I got to make lunch.
2: <laughs>
0: so give us five stars, however you rate this and uh, support Silver Apricot and go visit Little Tong and thank you, Chef Simone.